I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Michael Peters. He's a multi-genre artist who works in visual arts, music, and poetry, sometimes accompanying his poetic performances with his own electronic explorations. Then I'll be talking a bit about the Library of America, a publication program celebrating 35 years of publishing classic American authors and texts. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our guest today is Michael Peters. He's a multi-genre artist. He's won awards for his poetry. He's fronted a rock band called Poem Rocket, which gets its name from an old Allen Ginsberg poem. And he's composed music, both uh, experimental and otherwise, some of which he uses in his poetry performances. So with all of that going for you, I'm really glad you're here, Michael. Welcome to Poetry Spoken Here. Thank you. Glad to be (laughs) here. Well, you look glad. People can't see you, but I can. And I want, I want to, I, what, since you can do multiple things, um, maybe people would be interested in sort of how did you get where you are today? Like, what was the first artsy thing you did? Was it related to writing or music or, I don't know, uh, something else? I guess, I mean, you could always go way deep into your past, but I suppose, I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing when I came out of college or going into college, you know, this idea of specializing and, you know, I didn't really have anyone to tell me, uh, I was, you know, an artist. That sounds so ridiculous, but, um, I was in, you know, journalism. I was a journalism major and I had an art English minor. And I think one of the first real publishing, uh, related sort of events that was like, uh, you know, it's an example, I think, of of interdisciplinary sort of activity, the first sort of inkling of it for me. I was a journalism major and had the art background, and I I was into political cartoons. And, um, you know, there's just tons and tons of threads that kind of go into the reintroduction and, and um, rediscovery of connections between different disciplines. So... That's the first example of, you know, maybe, you know, journalism and politics and art sort of combining. I also had a really great uh, professor at um, Ohio University. This was, this guy was oh, so fucking cool. Um, Ethelred Eldridge, he had a Church of William Blake out in the woods uh, near, and this is Athens, Ohio. And uh, so that was a major, major influence on me. And so then I got involved in music and I got involved in the art for the flyers. So I was using art to do the flyers and then, you know, keeping journals for song lyrics. You know, you start to realize you have other kinds of writings that are poetic based and it kind of took off from there. But like I said, it's like, that's like, you know, going way back, um, not super far back, but back far enough. And it's like it's always been this kind of like overlapping, you know, um, integration, rediscovery of things, and you know, uh, and figuring out ways to, uh, you know, mediums as vehicles for ideas, you know. And so it's like I, I'm constantly exploring that. I think it's like these things actually develop together. 
not not like you were doing a lot of writing and then added in some music or yeah you know whatever was, almost all came along together in some way yeah it's the whole sort of oh God, i feel like such a cliche when i go to explain something really quickly i mean if we were to really sit down and talk for at hours length you know, I feel like you fall back on cliches, but like the idea of like particle and wave or, you know, which gets, it's a cliche in some way, but it's like, you think about it. At the time, things seemed very separate, but the way things work is you're actually working on all these things at the same time. So when I do visual poetry, for instance, um, I find that it opens up my head in interesting ways. The same thing with just reading a text or teaching a text. I see things that I wouldn't see otherwise, but then it ends up being some sort of uh, material that comes back, slides back into another aspect of my creative life, and vice versa. Knowing how the creative work, it, it, it you know, it, 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 they all influences each other. So, well, it's interesting because the truth is that natural flowing over the borders into other genres doesn't really happen for a lot of people. And for you, it's just, that's the way it is, I, you know, it seems. I'm just blown away by that because I see all the time people that will say what I'm doing is experimental. And, um, you know, some people, I, my, my patron saint is, I, I suppose, if you were to have a choose a patron saint of poetry would be Jackson McLeod. Because I find him, he's like kind of like, one of the best kept secrets, although he's not a secret at all. I mean, the the his mm -hmm. thing of beauty anthology is spectacular. That's been on University of California Press for a while. But you know, he didn't invent experimental texts, but he explores those. And at the same time, he's interested in conventional, um, conventional works too. He's got this great quote. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically that. You know, people that are interested in doing uh, experimental or otherwise works, you know, um, they're seen as, uh, you know, they, they look down on, the, on the, the conventional sort of text. And then the conventional folks that are writing kind of traditional po poetry, they feel threatened by the experimental or otherwise works. And if you're interested in both, you kind of get it from both sides. That's That was uh, McClough's big point that, you know, and he, he was interested in both sides. And I... He's the only figure that I know that is like, I think in a quick way, sort of address the problem of, you know, creating stuff using different media and not just having one particular style, exploring something. I mean, you see that even with bands, they have like one sound and then they kind of trap themselves. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it's the trap that, that everybody needs because of the idea of genre. Um, you know, everything's got to be packaged a certain way so that people know ahead of time what to expect. And the discovery completely goes out the window then, you know? And I think that that's, I think that's what's missing. And so I see a lot of poets like, oh, I do hybrid stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And oh, I'm experimental. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And it's, it's just, yeah. And it's not that I, I, I enjoy it. I totally enjoy it. But I think that need to classify yourself or, you know, your own work. Is problematic, or for people to other people to classify. I mean, that's going to happen yeah. regardless. But, but it's an issue. If somebody's going to book you in for a gig, they like to think they know what's going to happen. Yeah, I guess, or, yeah. And if it's a band, it's even more obvious because people are used to talking about music this way. I, when Dylan did his first electric concerts, it blew people's minds. That kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, want to give us a poem here? Um, yeah, sure. Um, Let's do that. This is something that I've been working on, uh, a couple of poems that I've been working on recently uh, in the past two years. And I've got a, as usual, I've got this kind of, you know, I got a couple of ideas and then they start to accumulate, but it's a, it's a larger piece that um, I imagine being done at some point called Oh Beautiful Death, uh, a rage device index. And I imagine maybe like six books making up this, this piece, ultimately Oh Beautiful Death. And the first one, um, right now, the working title is The Reagan Flesh Wounds. Yeah, so I'll just go ahead and um, let it go. Um, so again, uh, and a couple of these poems have appeared in uh, Michael Bond's uh, Resist Much, Obey Little Anthology, um, the Trumped uh, Poets Speak Anthology, uh, a friend of mine, uh, poet Mitch Manning in Boston, his No Infinite, um journal and i think i've got some stuff that's coming out from this series that uh, also on reality beach which will be online and there'll be cool recordings for that too but anyway again this is uh, uh from a beautiful death <clears throat> a rage device index death the spirit of romance is in the icy rings of your dreams, envisioned in a starry night. Black pan panorama above a black mass of pines, cold and fluid, almost moving. Something like sense enters I sink my claws and teeth into a feeling to lap the aortic to lap the humid memory to lap the ecstasy fluxing genuflecting impressions, pine needles and dirt and little stones embedded in the palimpsest of your holy skin. Phantasms of Ayn Rand along the riverbank. Old navy green span launderer, blind ganga dolphins echolocate the dark murky waters where villagers first noticed the bodies on Tuesday. Water burials in the river as the poor cannot afford cremation. Oh, cherubic angel air force, gather your chalices to collect your bounty. Christ is bleeding again. Oh, martyred industrialist, Christ has risen again. Filthy philanthropists, wash your Prada bags in the Ganges River. Damn, woman, that's some hot Nashville chicken. 
local air traffic controllers, waterborne strike visitation fantasy and or scab nightmare. Angel-like from the mines of West Virginia. Botticelli-like. Mother Jones on the half shell, led by a team of dolphins, stepping onto the beachhead in the foam, like MacArthur. Cosmic agoraphobic imploding stochasm detector in the identity sphere, the ictomy fundamentalist weather report. God damn it, this empirical space helmet's all fogged up. Dark information all about me. Like Jesus in the bowels of the Ronald Reagan building. But that's enough talk about me. Let's talk some more about me. Oh. Always me, a Hubble kinship to know Magellanic clouds and dust can take new shapes. There you go again. But fashy this time, self-radicalized and saddled with a mere psychosis. Stepping up into the stirrups of your new afterlife flying saucer, alien. Goose-stepping Michelangelo's with reaching arms. It's only a Roman salute. For mine is the kingdom. How'd you make that sound? Oh. Uh, the accompanying the recording. What is that? That's, um... <laughs> is it a non-instrument? Strange I found something? <laughs> No, it was a, a, a strange night where I was probably feeling guilty because I should have been working on something else. Um, that's a common affliction of mine, but I was in the basement and uh, it's about an eight minute recording, but I, I found this, I was messing around on my guitar actually. Um, I do a lot of found stuff. I do a lot of electronic stuff with things running through effects, but this was actually good old traditional guitar and I, created this uh, crazy loop and I started walking around. It's a crazy recording if you hear the whole thing because I've got like the sounds and this drone of the, the, the dryer was one running at the same time. <laughs> so I've got like a moment where the, some, I don't know, it's just it's Excellent. a weird stolen <laughs> moment in my basement and honest to God, I, you know, I can remember a lot of things like where I was and what happened, but this was some weird night that just, you know, I totally lost track of time. With your voice, when you're uh, when you're doing the poem, do you are you just doing what came natural the first time you read the thing, or do you actually like read it and hear yourself and think you want to do something different with your voice? I'm just curious about that. Could yeah. you use it very effectively? But thank you. It could just come natural. Yeah, I think it's know? a totally natural thing, and I mean, I have a, a slight dramatic flair. Um, I suppose that comes to, to people that have only experienced my. Uh, poetry first, you know, I, I I had a lot of experience being in front of, you know, a microphone and in front of people. And um, 
So that sort of drama comes across um, in interesting ways. And it, it's something that's very natural to me. And um, yeah. I noticed with my first book, um, Vast Bin, which is a really fucked up kind of, I always have a difficult time trying to dis describe that book to someone that maybe is into more conventional or uh, work the way that McGlow thought of conventional work. And it was a, it was a lot of, uh, it was a, a, a book in many ways about nothing. The first, there's a, like a series of uh, numbered bins. The, so the titles of each of the poem in, in poems in uh, each of my, in my uh, uh, book vast bin, I call them bins. The, the the first bin is is the vast bin life itself so the 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 fir very first bin the first poem in the book is bin number 2 and so each each bin is a sort of uh command or a meditation or a sermon or an invocation or injunction to open up to the, the, the to the vast bin so i was um, I'm really into some of the ideas of Christian Prevalent, this idea of trans poetry too. So that sort of fit in with the sort of spaciousness, for example, of a, of a loop or something, a musical accompaniment. Mm -hmm. It would sort of kind of open one up. And so I'm using sound sometimes with these. Um, and I, one of the big discoveries, in, you know, and that's what it's all about. It's about discoveries. You can discover stuff composing things, but you can also discover stuff performing. And this is about, you know, this is a, a nine-year-old book already, Vast Ben. And what I realized was be, the poems were really about opening up. So in many ways, they're about nothing. The, each bin is about a certain form of nothing and access to a larger sense of nothing. And that's not too radical if you think about, like, late 19th century set theory, like, what stuff, uh, and ideas of infinity, let's say George Cantor and specifically a hero of mine, Charles Sanders Peirce. So the big discovery again was like, you know, with this ideas of accessing, you know, a bigger sense of the infinite or, you know, even if to question whether it is something like infinity, vast bin, um, you know, you don't know because is it, can you, can you even count to infinity? What I, what I realized was these instructional, instructional sermonic, sermonic sort of poems, meditations, what have you, uh, depending on the mood, I did a bunch of collaborations too with other musicians and stuff that I developed myself, depending on the, the performance setting. So I was exploring performance, exploring the performance of the poem and the use of sound and collaborating with people and interacting with the audience. I've written about this in Drunken Boat. There's an essay and a movie about uh, the Vast Bin project. But anyway, uh, the thing, the big discovery, I'm, I'm like, God, you're probably on the edge of your seats. The big fucking discovery about language is that depending on the mood or the intensity of the sound, because the poems in a weird way were instructions to do nothing, it didn't matter the mood i could get into the mood of whatever the mu music was doing and now i could either go silent and soft with the mood if the mood was silent and soft and kind of softer mm -hmm. or i could go against it and like be super dramatic in that moment mm -hmm. or i discovered uh that if there was a, a dramatic you know loop you could let that kind of play for a little bit of resonance but you could also be super calm and slightly robotic during that time and so what I think I was learning 
through that process was the idea of you know improvising with words like how to kind of see the the poem as a score so it's interesting if you look back on someone like robert duncan talking about scoring his piece he's talking about it very traditionally seeing and it's really awesome because i think a lot of poets you'll see them kind of marking time there's there's always this idea of rhythm to poetry yeah but i feel like one of the gifts that that working as much as it's frustrating, you know, to be interdisciplinary and have the access to a lot of different uh, media or the use of them to, you know, as vehicles for ideas. This is like, for me, it's like, you know, it really, it allows you to um, explore things. I, I feel like I just, every time I make a piece and I, I just, I have new ideas come out of it all the time. And that's what it should be about. It should be about dis generating discovery, generating ideas for yourself, for others. So when, you, you give me a, you give me a thought here of now when you're when you're doing a performance. Yeah. Um, do you, do you give a thought to the uh, like ahead of time? Let's say the potential impact. It sounds to me like could be wrong here. Uh, that it's a holistic thing that the audience is experiencing. Yes. And and, I, and 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 it's not like a real specific idea. It's some kind of total experience. Yes, and that's really interesting because that's what I was exploring again in the Drunken Boat essay. I talk about that, and I've got a movie that goes with this. I, I made a sound installation at the um, and now experimental festival literature or experimental uh, festival experimental literature, and so I wrote about that. But um, there's a term for what I'm doing, and I I, I love this term. I, I think I got this from. Castellanos's writing on Cage, but I thought it's perfect because it's this idea of presentational non-congruence. Um, so meaning, and this is what I do in my Vast Bin project, um, it's like I have like a library of sounds, like stuff that I've recorded in a lost moment, let's say in the basement, you know, in some night that I can't even name. Um, and I end up making a library of these types of sounds and then you use them as you sort of need them. But the idea of like, you know, you constantly see in new media, uh, this idea of real time, real time, like what the fuck is that? Real fucking time. Like I have never in my life experienced anything in fucking real time. <laughs> and it's like some sort of myth, the technology, like, yeah, we are together. My t my sense of time is probably radically different than yours. So this, I, I just, it's kind of fucked up. And what presentational non-congruence does, I, I try to create things that can be used in different areas. And for for example, like in, in, in the Vast Bin uh, book, um, I have different films that can be put online and oh that's kind of interesting and cool or you can play them during the performance and mm. so they have multiple uses you can use them in performance um you can use them separately um and the same could go for the sounds and so what you're doing is you know uh, lots of times people will say like wow how did you time that with the recording did you rehearse that and i was like no absolutely not because what i've learned to do with words is like if something changes, you know, I'll, I'll read that poem again, and this is a more traditional one. I'll never read that the exact same way again. It was a little bit awkward, for example, when I just performed it. Um, I felt like the I'm up, I'm upstairs in, in an upstairs kind of office like area, sitting at a desk, and and suddenly something that was really loud 
when I performed live sounded super, super loud, too loud. And so I had to move the recording away from me on the desk. You couldn't see any of that. I just did it just now. And I was sort of trying to get situated in the moment. And it's also about like being cognizant of your, um, your audience and kind of looking up occasionally, you know what I mean? So you're kind of like, it took me a poem or two to kind of really start to feel good, you know? And like, yeah. oh, I can do this, here you go. Now I'm feeling good and comfortable and I found the spot. So you could go back and listen to that and you could hear me. It's a little bit awkward at first, at least in my mind, but that's how every performance is for me. You know, you're, you're kind of like finding, finding something to kind of- Finding your space in the space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, that, that totally, gets into that sort of structure of, of, you know, yeah. it's an ecological structure. The romanticists talked about it, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Well, did, did you have something else you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, wow. um, sure. Time, uh, knock off another one, it'll be good. Yeah, this, this is, is heady stuff, so it's good to give people a couple of examples. Yeah, and well, here's the thing is too, like people are like, well, what the fuck is this guy talking about? I got a couple <laughs> poems about my son and I, like looking up at the night sky and, a telescope and dumb shit like that and that, i mean that's yeah, yeah. it it's awesome it's good it's good stuff i got a lot of that it's life <laughs> but i love i love you know like for that the poems that i just uh that i just read the the manuscript of beautiful death like it's like i like the idea of like documentation but also you know um activation this idea of like you know you think about the politics of that so it's a return for me to like I talked to you earlier, Charlie, about, you know, uh, political cartoons, but here's a return to politics for me, but it's a, in a different mode, thinking about it, you know, using like Ed, um, Ed Dorn or uh, Ed Sanders for um, oh, yeah. models, but also Arto, the idea of creating spells that would like kind of break the grip of this kind of neoliberal, neo-fascist neo era that we're in. So... So this this new piece, I have two manuscripts poetry-wise that I'm working on right now. Um, and this one is, I mentioned my nine-year-old, ten-year-old book called Vast Bin. And then I've got this idea of the Vast Bin, I got a Vast Bin project. This, uh, these poems I'm about to read for you are from another um, series, um, which is pretty much done. I'm working on the visuals for this. Um, and uh, the title of it is called uh, O Kind Veld Sparrow. And um, I guess maybe, I'll, maybe I should read a couple of these and you can ask yeah. me some questions about it because I, of course, like anything, I've got this, you know, elaborate like shit going on in my own head, you know, whatever, but <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. But anyway, it's kind of more sound-based poetry. So um, this one has got those sort of equational sort of titles like, um, like the uh, my first book, Vast Ben, and uh, this I see this as the second, um, a third third series in this. Um, <clears throat> so I'll give it a second here and start reading. One hundred and fifty-two, to one more sparrow, the eighth duet, etc. And when, oh. Kindfeld Sparrow Anywhere It 
night forms and the slender bell it flowers remembers the underneath of is time against the dark formed by the weeds talking sound for we is river like clear Four hundred and thirty-seven to one more sparrow, the twenty-third do etc. Spare, oh, earth, gardened tries on stems, on churn, mm, contends. Earth's swollen veiled edges and resemblance. Oh, shh. Mm. Oh, low is in what is ours rocks time house yeah all right what should would it be good for people to know that was going on in your head that's behind the scenes <laughs> As you said, there, there's there's always some shit going on. You want to just drop in a couple of things for folks, and that'll be a wrap. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, the idea of the vow I think is important because this this book is like another project. I did an architectural sort of project um, called the Zoic Sphere Project, and it was a proposal to erect a giant period on the bell tower of the uh, SUNY Albany campus. And it would be a docking port for arrivals and departures of impossible flying craft among these, you know, being ideas and bad ideas. There's some things that we might want to get off the planet and there's some, uh, some really good ideas that we might want to come in and um, that are just kind of floating around in the sky, so to speak. So this is also uh, something that came out of that the same time frame that I was working on that project, the, the poems that I just read. So um, this idea of arrivals and departures are interesting. The idea of the bird, uh, the sparrow. So the vel is when you have set theory, for example, the Venn diagram. It's the overlapping part of like, uh, you know, in a Venn diagram, well, the, the, the part shared by both sets. 
And so I see in many ways the earth as that sort of vel, V-E-L, and that's the actual term for that, that overlapping area. And so this idea of a sparrow that's either arriving or departing, I have it numerically sort of fitting into my earlier book. So it's in that vast bin series. Um, and so uh, the, the material, unlike um, what I was doing in the first book, uh, came out of my dissertation uh, research that I was doing at the John Cage Trust. And um, John Cage had taken, there was like these steno notes that he had taken on um, using the I Ching as sort of generating new material, sort of like composting out of Thoreau's journals. And I like that idea of a long player, that you know, like an LP, right? A long yeah. player. So you're creating a longer piece by tapping into a piece that someone else was tapping into previously. So you got a lineage there of Thoreau, Cage, and I've like I humbly <laughs> inserted myself in there. But it's kind of like, you know, um, using cages steno pads it was kind of like a hot house like like little seedlings in a greenhouse or something like that and i was just kind of picking up things and, and landing here and there wherever i pleased it wasn't anywhere as rigid as the i ching and sort of mathematically generating randomness but kind of where my where i alighted like as if i were a bird landing on the text cages text that had sort of you know, cultivated aspects of Thoreau's text. So that's what the material came from. But then I really sort of went to town on it and kind of honed the sound and kind of, I think, created a a mood and a sort of um, language in it so that there would be a way to kind of maybe grab on to some of the concepts, like so that you could, you know, navigate, you know, make arrivals, make departures from the earth and re come back, return, and... Um, so on and so forth. And that's just the sound text aspect of it. I've got a visual side too, where I was taking Thoreau's, um, the, 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 the drawings of Thoreau from Thoreau's journals, the cage was fascinated by too, and arranging them in a way, and then creating visual poetry on top of that. So that's another thing that I explore, visual poetry. Right, you were right. There's a lot behind that's Yeah, great. yeah, yeah, and, and I could, you know. Hey, well, that, that about fills up our podcast oh, for this time around. Hey, <laughs> thanks a lot for being here, Michael. This is wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it's great to have someone that actually for a half an hour listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and someone else out there in the world may be listening. Yeah. Okay, you're listening to Poetry Spoken here. We've been visiting with Michael Peterson uh, and listening to his uh, poems and thoughts about poetry and uh, art. This is Poetry Spoken Here. And now, after listening to Michael Peters, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Library of America, a publication program that began back in 1982, 35 years ago. They have a specific purpose in their publishing. I'll tell you what they say right from their own website. They point out that the closing of brick-and-mortar bookstores, the loss of many book review pages, has eroded the potential for people to browse and discover important books. An interesting rationale. Through mainstream media, readers learn of only a handful of the most popular and best-selling books. And while millions of titles are available in libraries and through online retailers, 
there are few places to turn for guidance to find and appreciate exceptional writing that best reflects this country's history and culture. They believe they are defining America. So, the Library of America publishes a curated edition of works by the greatest and most significant American writers and develops nationwide and international initiatives to help readers discover these timeless works. Over the years, they've published over 300 books. And so I went to the website and browsed around, because that's what you can do, and you can buy books off the website, just to see what I might find. The first thing I looked at, being a poet, was books that are on sale. There are quite a few, and while the retail price of Library of America publications tend to be mm, around 35 bucks, hardbound, beautiful editions, I was uh, interested to notice that Edith Wharton's poems are... Four ninety-five. This is a good use for the Library of America website as a resource, a reminder of classic writers who you may have at one time thought you would like to read and somehow didn't get around to it. Also, at the Library of America website, I learned that they do audiobooks and e-books. So, uh, someone looking for a good read while uh, going off on a trip or something like that, you might get something really... Uh, classic in an audiobook form that would uh, suit your needs. This is a quality curated series, it really is, both in terms of who's published and the final edition that gets published. For example, their edition of Zora Neale Hurston's writing features her 1942 autobiography, Dust Tracks on a Road. And in their edition, they present for the first time, as Hurston intended, four never-published chapters and some controversial passages that they restored to the text. On the website, the books are categorized, and so they can be surveyed in groups. I checked out 20th Century Poetry, of course, was happy to see there are two volumes of Merwin, there's Conti Cullen, there's Gwendolyn Brooks, a good array of poets, but I won't. It's worth a look, as I say, to be reminded of who are out there who you may want to uh, look into or go back and review. I was also interested to notice... uh, anthology called Poems of the Woman's Movement, edited by Honor Moore. You may be familiar with that one. Now, with a topic like that, I wanted to know when it was published. 2009. An excellent feature, however, to not be overlooked, is that the Library of America website provides a table of contents. So for something like this anthology of poems from the women's movement, I was very curious to see, uh, you know, who was included and who might have been overlooked. The entire list of poets and poem titles could easily be perused when trying to decide to make the purchase or not. So, that's something to know about. The Library of America. The website is loa.org. I believe anyone interested in poetry and literature would enjoy exploring the texts that are mentioned there. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time and let poetry speak for you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, 
Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. Thank you.